0: Good morning church. Once again, thank you Nelson for the nice but exaggerated introduction. It's really great to be in church today. It's my first time preaching not only to people but also giraffes and tigers all around. I just wanna apologize if I have a little bit of cough today while Neil was surfboarding and paragliding in Bali. I was also in Bali, quarantined in my hotel room uh, I was sick with COVID, so I have a lingering cough, but no worries, you won't get affected. But just give me some grace today, all right? When this series, God is near, three weeks in, I just want to reiterate how fundamental this characteristic is to our God. You know, it is the, one of the only thing that differentiates us from every other concept about God. In seminary now, I'm learning to read the Bible on a macro basis, right? So you see this pattern all across scripture. Adam and Eve, God is near to them. He lived in the garden with them. Abraham, God drew near to Abraham so he could reach humanity. Moses, God stayed with them in tents, and the list goes on, and it culminates in the coming of Jesus Christ as the ultimate act of God drawing near to us. And as we celebrate Christmas more than all these Christmas trees and the gift exchange where we take from one party and change it to the other, we are celebrating the act of God coming near to us, all right? And our desire is that through this series, as we unpack this concept week by week, every one of you can feel your way towards Him and find him my text today is on Jesus and the centurion right so the centurion had a servant who was ill, and Jesus healed the servant now if you are in church for some time you might be going ah it's a story on healing I know how that goes there's a guy who is sick and Jesus heals Okay, I don't need to listen today. I take out my phone and start playing. Well, John said this, and I thought it's very interesting. He said there are so many miracles that Jesus did that could not be recorded in this book. It also tells us every single miracle or healing that was recorded, it's well thought out, curated, and there's a message that the author wants to tell us through this particular story, right? Everything is in the nuance. It's the person who was healed. It's what was said when he was healed. It's who were the crowd around, and all these things make up the message that the author wants to tell us. And for our story today, I want to preempt us. The nuance of our story is in the unusualness of this centurion character. And let me give you a contemporary example. Uh, this is Steph Curry. My wife was not a sports person, knows him, so shame on you if you don't know him. <laughs> he's a four-time NBA champion, the greatest 3 point shooter of all time, and one of the most loved players. Now, many people love him not just because he's a champion, there are 46 players that have won four rings and above. If any of one of you can name 15 we without googling, lunch is on me. You, you, you all know them. But we know him, right? And people love him, not just because he's a champion, but look at him. I look taller than him. Okay, I'm exaggerating. I, I'm not. But he looks like any one of us, right? He's skinny. This is his picture when he was drafted. And all, almost all the scouts wrote him off. There were 15 perceived weaknesses that the scouts wrote about him. Too erratic, cannot defend, fringe starter at best, relies too much on his outside shot, and the list goes on. And yet, he defied all odds and became a champion. So if you look at Steph Curry and say, ah, he's just a great NBA player, you're missing the whole story behind. In our story today, it's the same. If you look at our story and say, ah, it's just healing, you're missing the whole point. So follow along with me as I bring us through some of these nuances, all right? Verse one, after he had finished all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now verse one is fundamental to our story. It tells us this happened right after Jesus gave one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Plain. This was Jesus entering the peak of his ministry. Now, Capernaum is a very interesting place. When Jesus started his ministry, he was in Nazareth. People rejected him, so he moved his center of ministry to Capernaum. It is in Capernaum that he did some of the most amazing miracles. He healed the guy with leprosy, he healed Peter's mom, and he casts out demons and Luke 4, in fact, it talks about an evening where maybe, I think it's like a rally where people just came and Jesus just healed the crowd one after the other. And all this happened before our passage today. Okay, so Capernaum would be a place where people were somewhat familiar with this, with what Jesus was doing. It's interesting because in Matthew 10, It talks about how Jesus rebuked Capernaum as an unbelieving city. So what does this mean? It means Capernaum was a city where many people were familiar with Jesus, seemed close to him, but did not really get his heartbeat. And it tells us today's story is going to be about the heart. Verse 2 introduces a person of interest. It's a centurion. A centurion, it's a middle-level Roman soldier. It's not the general who sits in the office, strategize for the whole nation. He's not that guy. He's the guy who leads about a 100 men and he leads from the front. And he looks something like this, okay? And typically it would take about 15 to 20 years of experience and excellence before one could become a centurion. So this guy, he's not a social elite, but he's well respected and acknowledged in the community. And scripture tells us a few things about him that is a Steph Curry moment, It's the unusualness of this guy. Verse 2, it says, the centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. See, the Roman society is extremely hierarchical. Servants and slaves were objects and items. So typically, if I'm a master, I have a slave, he's sick, He's becoming a burden to my household. He's no longer being able to work for me and it's perfectly legal for me to put him to death. And it makes sense, right? He's supposed to add value to me. Now he's sick, he can't. Thank you very much, I put him to death. But this centurion here, he does the exact opposite. His servant was ill, He did him no harm, but he's trying his best, looking for ways that can help this servant. So we see an unusualness in this character, right? Verse three, the centurion heard about Jesus. He sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, I don't want you to mistake this as this guy being insincere. That's not the case. In fact, later in the passage, it tells us why, but I'll flag it up front. This centurion understood there was a sensitivity and tension between a Jew, which Jesus was, and a non-Jew, which he was. And he knew that if he himself went, it would create an uncomfortable and troubling spot for Jesus. Wow, this is just bizarre. I don't know about you, but I can't remember any time where I'm the one thinking about Jesus. Usually I want Jesus to think about me, right? Yet this guy, he's very different. He's considering all this sensitivity, and he's thinking about Jesus. Verse four. This is the absurd one, the most absurd one of them all. The Jews went to Jesus. They pleaded with Him earnestly, saying, He's worthy to have you do this for Him. He loves our nation, and He's the one who built us a synagogue. See, to understand this, we got to understand that for hundreds of years, the Jews are getting sick of being conquered one after the other. They have so much hatred well up for these oppressors. It's the Babylonians, Assyrians, the Persians, and the Greek. In fact, in 167 BC, this was slightly after the time of Alexander the Great, the Jews were ruled by this group called the Seleucids. And there was a son of a priest by the name of Judas Maccabees, he just couldn't take it anymore and he formed a group of guerrilla warriors and a small band of rebels. They won battle after battle, defying the odds, and they rode into Jerusalem, taking back the capital, and they had independence for 80 years. Then Rome came. So the Jews suddenly had a new target of hatred in the form of Rome. So you see there would be all this small rebellions happening and the capital of Rome put all these soldiers there to somewhat govern and stop these things from happening. So it's unusual because the Jews who were supposed to hate all these Roman soldiers, not only did not hate him, they spoke highly of him They even pled to Jesus because of him. This soldier, on the other hand, who was supposed to be oppressors, not only did not do that, it says he loved the nation of Israel and he built a synagogue for them. So this is a very unusual guy. We see he's spoken of highly, great character, thoughtful, kind, And it doesn't say why, but Jesus went with the Jews to the house of the centurion. Um, Probably he was a little bit intrigued, I I don't know. But surely he understood the context better than we do today. Now this is a second plot twist. When he was not far from the house, the centurion once again sent friends to relay a message to Jesus. Jesus. And I want you to read with me. This is the essence of the passage, okay? So read it with me. Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man of authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does this. So he relays this message. And when Jesus heard these things, it says he marveled at this message. Turning to the crowd, he followed him. He commanded his faith. And they went back and the servant was healed. See, for the whole story, we are being set up here. We are being led to believe that, wow, this is such a great guy. He's humble, thoughtful, kind. Ah, no wonder Jesus is going to heal him. Look what Jesus said. He says nothing about how great of a character this guy has. He says he marvels at his faith. What's so great about this faith that could make Jesus marvel? Everyone else is talking about how great he is and how because of that he Jesus should go and do his bidding. That was how the Jews thought. The centurion said nothing about that. And he said, "I am not worthy" Now, I I don't know if there's a faulty thinking that's in there. Maybe there's a little bit. But the centurion is not just putting himself down here. He's understanding that it's not about him. He's understanding that it's not about what he has, who he is, what he says. That will cause Jesus to come and heal his servant. He's understanding grace in a way that many of us don't. See, we live in a society that's extremely performance-driven, right? We hit some KBIs, you get a bonus. You sell some stuff, you get a commission. You do well in your school, you get a scholarship. And we are being framed to think this way. I just got my marks from my assignment yesterday. I only got 79%. Oh my gosh, what a disgrace. I shouldn't even be allowed in church. And and we used to think like that. And we think, ah, that's how Jesus works as well. If I'm this, if I'm great, if I'm good, if I have good character, then he's going to bless me. The centurion knew it wasn't about that. He understood this element of grace. What else did he understand? he understood the authority of Jesus. He said, I command men, I say something and they do it, but you have authority far greater than I have. You have authority over life and death. What do we think about Jesus? I can't help that sometimes we are just underestimating who this guy is. We think he's some form of genie who is there just to do our bidding. We think he's some moral teacher who says something, some are old-fashioned, some are relevant, we'll take it, some we don't like, we're not going to follow. This guy has authority over life and death itself. So you put the two together, understanding the grace of Jesus, understanding the authority of Jesus, and that was the faith that made Jesus marvel. In one-liner, the centurion simply understood that it's not so much about who we are It's about who He is. Now, that's the good news that we're talking about. See, if Jesus only comes near to me, if I qualify to a certain standard, I, I, I don't know if that's good news. Maybe it's okay, okay news. I gotta stop eating burgers. I gotta pray seven hours a day. I gotta smile to every one of you. Be kind. Shake everybody's hand. Ah, Then maybe he'll love me. And the worst thing is this. I wouldn't know if I qualify. There's no leaderboard. There's no point system. There's no completion bar. I'm cracking my head at night. Do I qualify? Do I not? After everything I do. And we live with that stress. I think that's horrible news. The good news is Jesus saying, I draw near to you. Not because you are good. It's because I am good. I come to you not looking for someone who is perfect. I'm looking for someone who will trust that I'm perfect. That's the good news, guys. He healed, he went. Not because he knew that the centurion had a great character. He wanted to go. And I know you're wrestling with this thought is something that we wrestle with a whole life. And you're thinking, how can this translate into my life that I can live it up powerfully? Now, this story here is found not only in Luke, but also in Matthew. It's very interesting. Because Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. And the Jews, for the longest of time, they thought they were invincible. They were prideful. We are the chosen people. God promised this to us. We deserve it. We are so worthy. The Gentiles, on the other hand, were always second class in the religious hierarchy. There were things they weren't allowed to participate, and they felt like, ah, I'm not the chosen people. I'm just not worthy. And if you are like me, every day as we go through life, we are swinging from one spectrum to the other. On some days, we feel so good about ourselves, right? Man, this week I'm preaching three sermons, uh, sacrificing all my nights, doing my seminary. Who else should he bless? You guys are sitting down, I'm carrying the mic here. He should bless me. And going down this rabbit hole can only lead to pride. And I need Jesus to rebuke me, saying, yeah, you did a lot of things, but there's nothing you can do that can earn my love for you. And on some days, we are not doing too well. I was in Bali. I was supposed to speak for a regional conference. Man, I let my pastor down, sitting in the room. My wife, first time attending a regional event. She had to be quarantined too. It's our first trip overseas. I'm just not worthy. And we have days like that. And in those days, we need our God to comfort us. Saying, there's nothing you can do that can stop me from loving you. That's our focus, right? It's not whether we are worthy or not worthy. It's that He is worthy of our trust. I don't know where you are today. Some of you, you may have a specific need. You may need healing just like the centurion servant. Some of you may be living in a precious of a performance oriented lifestyle. And your stress, some of you may be carrying some guilt that you you just can't bear. Holding on to this truth is far more than a ticket to heaven, it's far more than him making your life the way you want. Holding on to this truth liberates us from pressures that we are not meant to carry, from guilt that we are not meant to hold on to. It gives us joy. It gives us freedom. It empowers us to live life in all its fullness. I know that's the kind of life all of us desire. Today as the band comes, God is coming near, drawing near to you wherever you are at. And we're going to give some time for you to, to respond. And all we need to respond is simply like what the centurion said. God, I trust that you can. And I trust You will. Father, we thank you. We are so grateful that your love is not dependent on how great we are. Oh how horrible would that be? We are thankful that your love it's because of your nature. It's irregardless of where we are at. We rebuke performance orientation in every area of our life. It's not about whether we are worthy or unworthy. It's that you are worthy of our trust. We put our trust in you. We know that you can and we know that you will. We thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.